Welcome to this podcast by The Rocks Church. We hope you find it challenging and inspiring. For more information, visit therocks.church. Hello, good morning. How are you all going? Hope you're traveling well. Yep, good to see you all. And uh, trust that you're enjoying the long weekend and all the wonderful weather that has accompanied it. And if you are here today for the first time, big warm welcome as well from my side. Good to have you here. And as always, big welcome to everyone joining us online from wherever you are in the world. Uh, great to have you dialed in for this third and final installment in our little series, Lessons from a Storm. And over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at some of the faith life lessons we can learn from a few of our favorite Bible characters, Paul the Apostle, Jonah the Prophet, and Peter the Disciple, whose life story and experience we're going to learn from today. And we've discovered so far that all have enormous amounts of uh, wisdom to impart to us and truth to teach us. Not only is there profound spiritual truth embedded in their stories and experiences, but there is intensely practical wisdom as well. So I really hope that this series has been uh, helping you as you navigate your storm, and if you're not in the middle of a storm right now, then I hope that it's preparing you well for the inevitable moment that you do find yourself in the middle of a storm, because the fact of life is uh, at some point in our journey of faith, all of us are going to find ourselves experiencing one of those unavoidable storms of life, and that might be a financial storm, it could be a relational storm, it could be emotional or circumstantial, but Despite the nature of the storm, it can be overwhelming, it can be disorientating, it can be frightening, and so we have to learn to navigate them wisely and well. And as we saw last week from the life of Paul, you can be right in the middle of the will of God. You can be exactly where God wants you to be, sincerely loving Him, serving Him, faithfully obeying Him, and boom, all of a sudden you find yourself in the middle of a storm. For no other reason than that is the nature of life. Right? We are not exempt from the realities of life, from life's hardship or adversity, just because we happen to be followers of Jesus or people of faith. Uh, we are subject to those same realities. And then, of course, conversely, sometimes you can find yourself in the middle of a storm because you are doing the exact opposite. You are disobeying God or running from God or for some reason refusing to walk in the wisdom of God's will and God's way. And so you can find yourself in the middle of a storm of your own making as we discovered from the life of Jonah a couple of weeks ago. So either way, storms are a reality of life, and we have to learn to navigate them wisely and well, and that's what this series is all about. And today we're going to conclude by looking at the story of Peter on his way to Bethsaida. So before we read the Scripture together, I want to just take a moment to kind of set the scene and, and provide some context and some backdrop so it makes sense. And this particular storm story appears in three of the four Gospel accounts. So you will find it in Matthew 14, Mark 6, and John 6. And it follows a very significant event that we simply refer to as the feeding of the 5,000. Now, all three gospel writers tell us that at this particular point in time, Jesus had been ministering in and around his hometown of Nazareth. And he wanted to travel to another town called Bethsaida. And as he was on his way there, he was stopping off at other towns and villages in between and preaching and teaching and ministering to the people. And at one point, he sent his disciples ahead of him to a particular set of towns to announce his arrival and to begin the work of ministry. And once the disciples had reunited with Jesus, they told him all that had happened through their ministry and all that they had experienced. And, and Jesus picked up that his disciples were tired and that they were hungry. And so he encouraged them to come away with him, to kind of withdraw strategically for a moment into a quiet place where they could just rest and eat and recover. Um, unfortunately, somebody 
noticed that Jesus and his disciples were leaving the region and kind of figured out where they were headed. And so this particular individual ran ahead of them and announced to the towns and villages in the region to which Jesus was traveling that he was on his way. And so by the time Jesus and his disciples get there, the Bible says this multitude of about 5,000 men. So we're talking here about an enormous group of people, right? 5,000 men, excluding women and children, had already gathered. And they were hoping and expecting that Jesus would minister to them too. And so the Bible says because Jesus looked on them with compassion and saw them as you know, sheep not having a shepherd, he decided to meet that expectation and to preach and teach and to minister to them, which he did throughout the course of the day. And as they were coming up to the end of the day, the disciples knew or noticed that the people were growing tired and weary. And so they went to Jesus and they said, hey, Jesus, we reckon it's time to call it a day. The people are tired. They're hungry. We're far from a town uh, and, and we don't have money to buy them food. So we reckon we need to send them home. And Jesus said to them, well, you feed them. And the disciples looked at Jesus like, are you crazy? They said, like, that would take half a year's wages. There's no ways we could feed this multitude. And so Jesus said, well, what do you have, right? And they said, we've got five loaves and two fish. And so Jesus said, all right, we'll give them to me. And so if you've heard the story of Jesus, you've probably heard what happened next. Uh, they brought these five loaves and two fish to Jesus, and he took them, he blessed them, he gave thanks to them. He broke them and he handed them back to his disciples and he said, now go feed the multitude. And the Bible says, as they took the bread and the fish and began to break it and distribute it, it multiplied in the disciples' hands and they fed the entire multitude of 5,000 plus people. And by the end, they were all fully satisfied and Jesus could send them home happy and not hungry anymore. And the Bible says the disciples were able to pick up 12 basketfuls of leftovers, right, which I'm pretty sure we're safe to assume was their dinner, right? That was like the reward for a long day's work, 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And then Mark and Matthew go on to tell us in Mark chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 14, and this is a, this is a mashup now, right, of their records. Uh, Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel account are almost identical in their recollection of this story, but Mark gives us a little bit of information that Matthew doesn't and Matthew gives us a bit of additional information that Mark doesn't. So I've put them together so you get the full picture and the whole story. All right, Mark chapter 6, verse 45. It says, immediately after this, after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus insisted that his disciples get back into the boat and head across the lake to Bethsaida. While he sent the people home. After telling everyone goodbye, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Late that night, the disciples were in their boat in the middle of the lake, and Jesus was alone on land. He saw that they were in serious trouble, rowing hard and struggling against the wind and the waves. So about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them, walking on the water. He intended to go past them, but when they saw him walking on the water, they cried out in terror, thinking he was a ghost. They were all terrified when they saw him. But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and, beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, Save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? 
Then he climbed into the boat and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Wow. All right. An amazing series of events. I think you'll agree. And there are many things that I love about this story. And honestly, I'd be so keen to hear what it is that you see in the story and what you think God is trying to communicate to us about faith and following Jesus in the middle of life's storms. But there are four big ideas here that stand out for me. And I want to share them with you this morning because I believe that God wants us to know and understand them. And these four truths are not contingent on the story. By that, I simply mean they don't rise up only from this story. This story simply reminds us that these things are already true. So in that sense, these four truths stand alone. But what I love about this story is that it so clearly and powerfully reminds us of these truths. All right, so what are they? What are the four? Well, the first is this, that God sees you in your storm. God sees you in your storm. Whatever situation you are in, whatever circumstance you are navigating, God sees it, God knows it, God understands it, and He is ready to respond to it. Um, I love the fact that in this story, the Bible highlights this truth by pointing out that Jesus was high up on the hill watching His disciples and praying for them. In other words, He saw them in their predicament. And I love this little phrase in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, when it says, He, Jesus, saw that they were in serious trouble. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you thought to yourself, Man, I am in serious trouble. <laughs> I have. I've been there far too many times, right? And very often, after you find yourself in a situation like that, the next thought you think to yourself is, God, are you seeing what I'm seeing? God, do you know the situation that I'm in? Are you aware of what it is I'm having to navigate right now? I remember many years ago, some 16 years ago, when we moved to Australia for the first time, we were about a year into our immigration process. And what happens when you immigrate from South Africa is the Reserve Bank on the South African side frees your assets, right? So any financial assets that you have in South Africa get frozen for a period of about 9 to 12 months while they process your immigration. So you can't access any of your money. You can't do anything with it. And so we were in the middle of that process. And about halfway to, uh, through 2008, something happened that we now casually refer to as the GFC, the Global Financial Crisis. And if you were around, which many of you would have been, you'll remember, the entire global stock market just plunged in the matter of a few days or weeks. And we were absolutely hammered in that process. Because we had shares we couldn't sell and positions we couldn't close and money tied up that we couldn't access. And so we were significantly impacted by that um, global financial crisis. On top of that, the South African rand, which was the currency that we were moving our money out from, devalued by about 50% in a relatively short period of time. So not only were we hit by the stock market collapse, we were hit by the devaluation of the rand. Now, at the time, my wife was pregnant with our second child. Um, my daughter, and we were on this thing called Overseas Visitors Medical Cover, which is a form of private medical cover for non-citizens and non-residents, which is extremely expensive, but at least it provides you with something because you can't go on a Medicare. And uh, what we discovered was this Overseas Medical, or Overseas Visitors Medical Cover has a 24-month probation period 
for maternity costs. So none of the pregnancy-related costs were covered by our medical cover. And my daughter's due date, the due date of her birth, was 11 days before the end of that probation period. In other words, if my daughter was born 11 days later, we would have been fully covered for all our maternity costs. I remember writing to the insurance company, and I literally begged them in the letter to waive the probation period, like just to have mercy and compassion. And they wrote back and they said, no way. No way, Jose. <laughs> so I went to my wife. I said to my darling, can you just cross your legs and squeeze for like 11 more days? <laughs> can you hold on? <laughs> Not the right thing to say to a pregnant woman, let me tell you. So clearly that wasn't an option. So we ended up having to sell my wife's car in order to pay for my daughter's birth, right? And, and we were in a situation where the cash flow situation became so bad that I remember one day we were literally in our living room at home and we were lifting up cushions on the couch looking for coins that had fallen down the side of the couch because we had run out of money. And I looked at my wife and, and we just both burst out laughing. We said, this is insane. This is crazy. And I remember praying and talking to God and saying, God, are you seeing what's going on here? Like, what the heck? Did you bring us from the other side of the world just to put us through this? Like, what is going on, right? So, friends, it's not unusual when you find yourself in the middle of a storm to find yourself asking the question, God, do you see what's going on? Do you know what I'm going through? And more importantly, do you care? But, friends, God wants you to know today he sees you in your storm. God sees that circumstance. He sees that situation. He understands it. He knows it. And he's ready to move on it. So God sees you in your storm. The second thing that I reckon this story highlights so beautifully and so wonderfully and something that God wants us to know and understand today is that God not only sees you in your storm, but God meets you in your storm. God will meet you in your storm. Not only is he going to see you in what you are going through, but he is going to meet you in the middle of what you are going through. He's going to be with you every step of the, the way, and he's going to be with you every moment of every day. And this truth is beautifully highlighted in the story in Mark chapter 6, verse 49, when it says, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. Wow, <laughs> I love that, right? Because it's, it's interesting that Jesus was, prior to that moment, up on the hill, praying for his disciples and watching them. And Jesus could have at any moment spoken to the wind and the waves and calmed that storm from where he was up on the hill. But he chose not to. He chose to come down from the hill and to step into the confusion and the chaos of what his disciples were facing, to walk into the middle of the madness and to presence himself with them in it. And I love that because that is the heart of the gospel message right there. Right? Bet Midler got it completely wrong. God is not watching us from a distance. No, God broke into our reality, our broken, fallen human reality. And he not only came to us, but he became like us, wrapped himself in human flesh and stepped into the middle of the craziness of our human experience so that he could empathize with us and understand us and relate to us and experience everything we experience. And he will continue to do the same. When you find yourself in the middle of one of these crazy storms of life, God is going to presence himself with you in it. And I love the fact that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. What a powerful image. Because you know what that says to us? It says whatever situation you are in, whatever the nature of the circumstance you are facing, God is greater than it. He is not intimidated. 
He is not overwhelmed. He is not overcome. He is not frightened. He is transcendent over and above that, and he is present with you in it. And isn't it interesting that these disciples, when Jesus came walking to them on the water, did not initially recognize that it was him. In the chaos and the confusion of their circumstance, being overwhelmed by the darkness and the disorientation, they thought it was a ghost, like some kind of spirit. And I thought to myself, I wonder how often I, in my own storm situations of life, have failed to recognize the presence of God in that situation because I too have been blinded by my experience or blinded by my expectation of what God ought to do and how God ought to arrive. And so when God does show up in my situation in an unexpected sort of way, I don't see it for what it is because I am so overwhelmed by my experience or disorientated by my expectation that I miss the very presence of God in the middle of that situation. You see, it's good for you to know that God sees you in your storm, but it's equally important for you to see Him in your storm. For you to see Him as present and to fix your eyes on Him and to keep your gaze on Him because He is the focal point of your faith. It was only when Peter took his eyes off Jesus that he began to sink, right? So you've got to learn to see Jesus in the presence of your storm and to keep your eyes on Jesus in the presence of your storm. I remember when we were pastoring back in South Africa many years ago, we, we had a group of youth leaders that we wanted to take down to a conference in Cape Town. We lived in Johannesburg, which is landlocked and central. But there was a conference down on the southeast coast of South Africa in the city of Cape Town. And so we took this group of youth leaders to the conference. Now, they weren't sea-going people by any means, right? We lived 600 kilometers from the nearest coastline. And so we decided to take him on a boat ride out around the Cape Town Harbor just for the day. And it was a beautiful day. It wasn't, wasn't um, bad weather or anything like that. But Cape Point is a, is a place where two oceans meet. So the Atlantic and the Indian Ocean converge there, which means the waters are pretty tempestuous. So we went out on this little boat, and we were going around the harbor. And within about five minutes, every single person on the boat was desperately seasick. And half these teenagers were literally hanging over the side of the boat, feeding the fishes as they were throwing up into the water, right? And the captain of the boat came to us and he said, listen, this is what you need to do. He said, put your feet firmly on the deck, hold on the side of the boat, and fix your eyes on a point on the horizon. Find an immovable point somewhere on, on the horizon and just fix your eyes on that point. And he said, you'll feel your stomach subside. And it was amazing how effective that was, right? The moment you stand still, stand firm, Fix your eyes on an immovable point somewhere on the horizon. Everything inside of you just settles. Even though everything around you is still turbulent, everything inside of you settles. And it's kind of like that with the journey of faith, right? Faith life has a focal point, and that focal point is Jesus. And He is the immovable rock of ages on whom we have to learn to fix our gaze. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the middle of your storm, and you'll begin to feel the disorientation and the angst and the fear and the worry and the doubt subside inside of your heart. So while it's important for us to know that God sees us in the storm, it's also important for us to know that God is going to meet us in the storm. He will be there, and you need to keep your eyes on Him. All right, then thirdly, the third thing that I reckon this story reminds us of is that God invites us to trust Him in our storm. God is inviting you to trust Him in the middle of your storm. Like undoubtedly, one of the craziest things that I reckon happens in this story is what Peter does. The Bible says that when Jesus arrived walking on the water, 
the disciples didn't recognize him initially until he said, all right, you know, take, take um, heart. Don't be afraid. It's me. I'm near. And Peter, in response, calls out and says to him, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come to you on the water. Now, I read that and I think to myself, seriously? Like, what kind of harebrained idea is that? It's typical of Peter, because Peter's like a speak first, think later kind of guy. But I'm thinking to myself, if I'm in the boat, I would be like, Jesus, if that's you, hold up five fingers. <laughs> right, Jesus? If that's you, wave your arms vigorously. I'm not getting out of the boat. But Peter's like, Jesus, if that's you, call me to come to you on the water. I don't know, maybe Peter just needed something a bit more adventurous or concrete. But, but Jesus says, yeah, sure, come. Now, I love the fact that this is Peter's idea, right? This was not Jesus' idea. But because Jesus is always up for some adventure, he says, yeah, okay, sure, come, <laughs> right? And so Peter gets out of the boat, and he starts to walk on the water toward Jesus. And the Bible says as long as he's fixed on Jesus, he's able to do that. But as soon as he takes his eyes off and he looks at the wind and the waves around him, his heart becomes overwhelmed again by his circumstance, and he falls back into the trap of fear and doubt, and he begins to sink. And he cries out, Lord, save me. Peter, uh, Jesus comes over and he takes Peter by the hand and he pulls him up out of the water and lifts him into the boat. And he says, Peter, <laughs> you were doing so well, man. Why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, right? Matthew 14, 31. Why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith. And I read that and I, I wonder to myself, what's going on here? Why? Why is Jesus allowing Peter to get out of the boat and walk on the water? And you know what I think is happening here? I think Jesus is using this opportunity to teach Peter he can trust him. I think Jesus is teaching Peter he can trust the authority of what Jesus says. If Jesus says you can go, then you can go. If Jesus says come, then you can confidently come. If Jesus tells you you can walk on the water, guess what? You can walk on the water. Peter is learning to trust the authority of the word of Jesus. You can take Jesus at what he says. What he says is reliable and dependable. And if Jesus says you can do the impossible, you can do the impossible. He's learning faith. Because friends, you do not learn faith by sitting listening to sermons. You learn faith by actively stepping out and obeying God. That's where you learn faith. Now, I remember a number of years ago when my son was oh, maybe about three or four years old, I, I walked into the kitchen one morning and he had climbed up onto the kitchen cupboard. He had kind of pulled the drawers open and used them as steps to get onto the kitchen cupboard. And it looked like he wanted to jump. And as I walked in, he saw me and he said, Dad, catch me, like he was going to jump. And I thought to myself in that moment, I've, I've got two options here, right? I can reprimand him and scold him for climbing up onto the kitchen cupboard, which of course is dangerous. Or oh, I can use this as an opportunity to teach him courage. <laughs> so I decided with option number two. Now, I don't know if that's good parenting or not, but it just seemed like a good idea in the moment, right? So don't take this as parenting advice. So I said to him, yeah, sure, jump. And then I stood just far enough away from the kitchen counter to make it scary. I couldn't want to be too close because that would defeat the object. So I stood far enough away for it to be scary. I said, yeah, go for a jump. And I could see the hesitation on his face, but eventually he mustered up the courage, took a big step forward, and just leapt off the kitchen counter. And I fortunately caught him, <laughs> right? Else that would have been a very painful lesson. 
And I called him. I said, well done, champion. That was awesome. And I could see how excited he was from the, from the adrenaline rush, right? I said, well done. That was brilliant. Off you go now. Don't tell your mom about this, right? And he ran off happy. But that's how you learn courage. You learn courage by doing courageous things. And you learn faith by doing faithful things. You learn faith by stepping out and obeying God and discovering that you can trust Him. And so in the middle of your storm, God is going to invite you to trust Him. And if He calls you to give, then give. If He calls you to speak up, then speak up. If He calls you to withdraw, then withdraw. If He tells you to do something, do it. Whatever He tells you to do, do it because you can trust Him. And then finally, number four, fourth thing that I reckon God is trying to teach us through this storm experience is that God ultimately reveals Himself to you through the storm. Not only does God see you in the storm and meet you in the storm and invite you to trust Him in the storm, but God ultimately will reveal Himself to you through the storm. And I love what it says here in Mark chapter 6, verse 51 and 52. It says, Then He, Jesus, climbed into the boat, and the wind stopped. They were totally amazed. And listen to the statement. For they still didn't understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves. Their hearts were too hard to take it in. And then Matthew, in his gospel account, adds this little important detail. He says in verse 33 of chapter 14, Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. In other words, friends, just hours before, in the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus was trying to teach his disciples something important about who he was. But they just didn't get it. They didn't understand the message in the miracle of the loaves. And so Jesus, when he sees his disciples in this storm experience, decides that he's going to use it as an opportunity to give them the lesson again. To teach them what they didn't understand just a day before in the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And it's this life-changing truth that he, Jesus, is no ordinary man. And he is no ordinary rabbi. He is the Son of God and God the Son. He is the creator of the universe. He commands the wind and the waves. The elements are subject to him. He is none other than the greatest revelation of God the world has ever seen. And friends, finally, what the disciples missed in the miracle of the loaves, they realized in the miracle of the storm that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And they did the only thing appropriate. They worshipped him. Friends, I have no doubt that if you are currently right now in the middle of one of life's storms, that God sees you in it, that He is with you in it, that in some unique way, He is calling you to trust Him in it. But He also wants to reveal Himself to you through it. And I want to encourage you today to simply pray, God, help me see. Help me see you in my storm. Help me see where you are at work and how you are at work. I don't want to miss your presence. I don't want to miss what it is that you want to achieve in me and through me in this situation. Grant me the grace to see it and understand it and receive it. And God, help me to trust you through it. So that through this experience, I can not only see you more clearly, but learn to trust you 
more deeply. So friends, storms are a, an inevitable and unavoidable reality of life. But through the wisdom of God, we can navigate them well. And this morning, I want to invite you to stand to your feet with me all across this auditorium. And if you're listening online, I want to invite you to lean into this moment as well. And what we're going to do today to conclude our time together is we're going to sing and the band are going to lead us as we do. And we're going to turn this song into our prayer. And this song is on one hand and a declaration of our faith in God, but at the same time, it's a cry to, help for, to God for help. It's an expression of our willingness to trust Him. And at the same time, it's an invitation for God to step into our situation and to show Himself strong. So as we sing this morning, I want to invite you to join your hearts together with ours and lift your voices in faith. And let's make this song our prayer this morning as we pray and invite God to show Himself powerful in our storm in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more great resources and to keep yourself up to date, head to our website. Visit therocks.church.com.